You're listening to the God Stories Radio Podcast with Mike, Fritz, Trish, and Tina. Listen to us live on the Mixler app. Also, be sure to follow us on iHeartRadio and you will never miss an episode. God Stories Radio. This is session 116. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. How you doing, guys? Great. Didn't, that wasn't... No, that that, was, it was the other T. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Tina? She's filling in for Trish tonight. Uh, her husband uh, had that dreaded uh, man test today. Oh, boy. I saw that. Oh, poor thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going well. Thank you for asking. Um, just, you know, trying to to get over the bumps in life and still keep smiling. Some days it's harder than others. Oh, yes. Well, you got that right. Wow. We've all been tested in that area. I know you have too, Mikey. Just hang on to Jesus. Yeah, amen to that. Amen. Well, we have a special guest tonight, but before we get to her, we have some shout outs. So, Tina, can you... Give us the shout-outs. I'd love to. So first, I'd like to give the Facebook likes out. We have Melody Garcia. Anybody recognize that name? I, I was our guest last name. week. Yes, last week, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Melody. Thanks for liking us Thanks on Facebook. Thanks for liking us on Facebook, Melody. And April Barriantos. Thank you, April. And Jess Witten. Thank you, Jess. Thank you for liking us on Facebook. Yeah. And then we have some new regions that are listening, awesome. too. That's awesome. So we have Ontario, Canada. Ontario. Ontario. And Massachusetts. All right, my home state. Hey, Massachusetts. <laughs> I was wondering when Mikey would have the honor of uh, presenting <laughs> that region. And then Alberta, Canada. Wow. Oh, hello to all our Canadians. Canadian friends yes. up there. We also have some new iHeart followers that oh, I'd yeah. like to mention. So Tina Talman, hey, you've got a great first name. Yes, she does. <laughs> and Richie Taylor. And Richie Taylor. Life to the full. So you guys, thanks so much thanks for, for following, following us. us on iHeart. And if you're listening to us from, on iHeart, please follow us there. And uh, we can just see how many there is that, that continue to follow us. Um they show us numbers, but you know, just we just like to see those uh, those followers on iHeart. Amen to that. That's for sure. I know we have a big uh, showing there, but show us how big it is. Amen to that. We love hearing from you. In fact, the guest that's on tonight, and I'll let Mikey introduce her. Uh, we heard from her. She sent a letter in. I believe, she did. right, Mikey? Yes. Um, about a month ago. We got a letter, and actually it was going to be part of a, a, a session that we were going to do uh, about a month ago, and um, a guest came through, so we didn't have to do that, and so it's a good thing we didn't either, because she's on the phone right now. Hey! So she wrote, Hello. 
Her name is Stephanie, and she says, uh, my name is Stephanie. I live in Tacoma, Washington, and I listen to your show every night before bed. God is truly good and great work through you all. I love the fact that every person from every walk of life is invited to share their stories of love, loss, pain, trial, tribulations, and, of course, victory through Jesus Christ. And through every story there aren't necess- that aren't necessary happy endings, but displays of continuous opportunity for Jesus to be the Lord of our lives daily, as we are to pick up our cross daily. I would love the opportunity to share my testimony with you and the listeners. God has done some miraculous things in my life, and he continues to keep his hand on me. I would love to hear from you. Keep pressing on with his, this wonderful gift God has given each of you to steward. Those are the words we use, too. Amen. So she's listened before. Mm-hmm. She has. Yes, she has. And I give you Stephanie from Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Well, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, again, I'm just I'm pumped, you guys, uh, uh, to be um, talking to you all. And um, just God opened a door for an opportunity to um, share my testimony with you Um as I would listen every night, um, you know, the Lord just continued to press upon my heart that um, this is something I needed to step out and do. And so I'm just glad that um, you all felt the same and allowed me the opportunity. So um, it's, I'm just, I feel really blessed right now. I'm really proud of you for doing it, Stephanie. That's right. It's, it's not easy to do, so. No, and a lot of people don't say yes, but... Um, uh, our mission statement is bringing hope, comfort, and encouragement through the power of the Christian testimony. And as I say, there's those someone's out there that God has already set up to listen to your testimony, so take it away. Amen to that. Amen. Okay. Um, well, um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, you already know that um, my name is Stephanie and where I'm from, from Tacoma, Washington, and um, I was born and raised here. Um and because uh, this is a podcast, I'll just share because um, it just definitely ties into some of my experience. And um, I am an African-American wife and mother. I have a, a daughter that will be 21 in June and a son that will be two in April. Wow. So, um, Ooh, we're praying for yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so... You know, and, you know, that just gives you a little bit of glimpse into um, my story and just how God has um, weaved um, the tapestry of my life together. Um, I, uh, I am 42 years old, and I did not grow up in church. Um, my parents, my father um, came to Tacoma via the um, Air Force, and my mother came with her first husband. That's how she ended up in Washington. And so um, my father was 17 years older than my mother. And they uh, came into each other's lives, um, I believe, at a time where both of them were at a crossroads. Um, my mother had just been released from prison. 
and she was attending a technical college here, and my father was attending technical college as he had just retired from the Air Force and was still trying to figure out exactly um, what he was going to do. So he thought um, he was going to try his hand at barbering, and so both of them at the technical college encountered one another. And um, at the time, um, my mom was just really trying to figure out um, what her her life was going to be like. She had two daughters at the time, and she had just been reunited with her children. And um, she was uh, trying to move forward from her past, and so she wasn't really receptive to um, any suitors, but my father was very persistent, and um, he pursued her, and they did get together. Um, They were together for um, five years before I came along, and actually, I believe that my mother was probably about six and a half months pregnant when they finally did get married. But in the course of their relationship, my older sister... Um, who was um, her father had been my 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 mother's uh, first husband. My mother's first husband was very abusive, and so he abused my mother while she was pregnant. And so when my sister was born, she had a lot of health problems, and she had a heart murmur. So heart murmur at that time, um, whereas you can live a long and healthy life now, still um, at that time. Um, you know, she just, you know, along with a heart murmur, she just wasn't very healthy and she passed away when she was, uh, three years old. And so I had a, then we also had an older sister. Um, and so because of my mother's grief, that sister went to live with my grandmother for a time while my mother could mourn. And so in my mother's mourning, she decided that she wanted to have a baby. And so um, there was, even before I was conceived, um, I had been conceived in my mother's mind um, that um, that she wanted another baby. And so, and I say that, and I, I start the story off because um, there is, I believe, I, I know that generational curses exist and generational things that um, parents, um, relatives can speak over our lives, um, even when they speak over themselves because we are a product of them, um, you know, can speak things um, over us. And so I believe even before, before I was formed in my mother's womb, that there was this, um, the value of who I was and what I brought to the table had already sort of been preconceived and determined starting with my mother. Um, I was this replacement child. And so my, um, there was this uh, conundrum, so to speak, of of my worth. And so, um, and even as of now, and, I'll, and I, you know, prayerfully I'll get there is that um, the value in my, I've been struggling with my value and worth um, ever since. So, um, you know, my mother would tell me stories of, you know, and I wanted you and you were on purpose. And um, to a young child, it sounds 
really good, but as the layers of my mother um, were peeled away through my childhood, um, I I began to learn exactly what burden that 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 bore for me, and so um, there was always a question of my um, just of of the value that I brought because. Um, Whereas my, I was the only child raised in the house because my older sister had been sent to live with my grandmother and, um, um, she just never, she ended up staying with my grandmother. So I was the only child raised in the house. And so, um, you know, my parents were loving and of course I'm the only child in the house and very attentive to me. Um, but they also were very independent people. And so, um, they they had their lives, and so they just sort of um, placed me. It um, they I sort of kind of came along for the ride of whatever they were doing. And while as um, you know, my parents were these multifaceted people. They were well read. My mother was well read. Um, well-traveled. Um, she was a product of the 60s. My my mother grew up in the same neighborhood as Angela Davis. And so Angela Davis's mother used to do my mother's hair. And so, um, you know, um, she was a product of that. My father was 17 years older than my mom. My dad was born in 1925. <laughs> so he wow. saw... Wow. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, is my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he saw World War II and the Korean War. His parents, both of his parents, were gone by the time he was nine years old and raised by an older brother in Gary, Indiana, who worked in the in the coal mines. And so, um, but their experiences, and you know, they saw racism and Jim Crow. And my mother was from Birmingham, Alabama, and so. Um, they were a witness to history, these two people <laughs> that raised me. And so, um, but, you know, they also were, you know, products of that. You know, my mom, of course, like I said, she was in the 60s, so she experimented with, you know, drugs. Um, she had been abused um, physically and sexually as, um, as a young girl. She was abused by um, her stepfather, very abusive to her and um, she was traumatized and it molded and shaped um, who she was and, and where she was never abusive to me, but the pain from her childhood, um, it, it came out a lot. Um, she had anxiety. She didn't self-diagnose herself in her early seventies. You know, I guess it's never too late, <laughs> but um, you know, um, you know, she had a lot of um, a lot of issues behind that, um, a lot of rejection. So again, there was another attachment of um, those generational curses of rejection of worth, um, because she couldn't understand why she, her mother, allowed that man to do those things to her. And so I, I, I grew up um, hearing these stories. I was, I was four years old, and my mom. You know, if she would tell me these stories about how she was abused, and and so because I was I was this child, this purposed child um, who was there to listen to uh, stories of abuse and 
replacing a, a child that, you know, had passed away. A lot of times I didn't know really what to do with that information or how to process it or I don't know what type of support my mom thought I could give her and I wasn't equipped to because nobody could because nothing ever validated her because she was always searching for that validation for someone to acknowledge what had happened to her. And meanwhile, abuse was happening to this this purposely conceived daughter that she had. Um, my cousin, um, a female cousin, started molesting me when I was four years old. And somehow, you know, um, and I think back, I, I have just begun really to explore some of these memories. Somehow, I felt as if these things were okay. And I would just, even as a little girl, I would justify what was happening to me. I didn't necessarily enjoy them, but, you know, in, in some strange way, I felt like um, this was what was supposed to happen to me. And I, and I didn't tell, if I was to tell, it wasn't like I felt threatened, but like, that I would be letting someone down or a disappointment. And it's very strange when you, um, because I was even, I was already at that time lining and measuring up what my worth was to this, to this cousin. You know, I want to be still found valuable to you and okay. So I won't share these horrible things that you're doing to me. And, um, I also, um, was, um, um, had been, was, was being molested by, um, our, my neighbor. So, um, the children that grew up next to us, um, the, you know, our, the brother, her older brother, a young girl that I used to play with, um, he abused me as well. And so, um, again, it was these things that it's, it's, in some crazy way, and I've heard it being said before, and I used to think that I was the only one, but sometimes you will seek out this type of attention because you feel like it brings worth and value to you or it speaks to your value and you just want to feel valued and worthy. And and even though I did not enjoy what was happening, in some way... Um, misconstrued and the enemy allowed me to think even at that young age that this is the only way that I could bring value to this person and therefore made me worthy enough to be okay in their lives and in their eyes. And it's, it's really sad looking, looking back at that. Um, but, and I, I used to think that these, these things, um, it, it wasn't, long and drawn out. These were things that happened to me and they didn't happen continuously, but um, I grew up in the same neighborhood from the time I started school until I graduated high school. Um, went to school with the same kids. Um, was really smart. Um, was really smart um, because, you know, all I had was adults around me. My parents um, 
would bring their friends over and they were from all different walks of life and backgrounds. The neighborhood that we grew up in um, was um, because a lot of, there was a lot of retired military families. And so there was a lot of cultures. Um, It was a lot of cultures, but still um, you could find yourself in certain situations being the only person of color in uh, situations. And even as a young girl, I remember being on the playground and I'd be playing with my friends and everything would be okay. And then I remember if, you know, maybe I didn't play the game or if I didn't follow the rules, then here comes the N word. And it would be like this out of nowhere. Cause I'd be like, everything was fine. And then there would be this huge elephant that would enter the picture. Um, And then all of a sudden, my race became an issue. And that sort of began to shape me. And again, my worth and my value and what I brought because I just wanted to be okay in anyone's eyes for who I was and what I brought to the table without having to do any heavy lifting um, for other people. You know, now I have to work hard to work around the fact that I'm black. And then I had to work around and work hard around the fact that I was this child that was born after uh, my sister passed away. And just all of all of these different factors that attached themselves to me during my childhood. Um, and you would think that in the midst of all that, I would be just downtrodden, but there was a lot of happy memories too, a lot of good memories um, with my family. Again, we were close knit. It was just the three of us. And so um, my mother introduced me to, she introduced me to um, plays and musicals. Um, you know, I was watching Aida at like 10 years old. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah. Um, and she'd be explaining it to me with passion and fervor and books. My father introduced me to books and, you know, so I, I had this, um, you know, this hodgepodge of experiences in my childhood and, but not a lot of church, um, not a lot of church. Um, one of the girls that I, I, uh, I grew up with her father, there was a church, uh, a community, uh, neighborhood church at the end of my street and her father was the pastor and so um, they would have um, Awana. And so they would have Awana, and I would go because they gave candy out at the end of Awana. <laughs> <laughs> they gave candy out at the end of Awana. That made it so, everything better. Right. Um, and I would, I would attend for a time, but, you know, and my parents, you know, they didn't, they never discouraged me, but... They weren't super encouraging, you know, either. It was just, you know, whatever I wanted to do, if I was interested in that, that was fine. And, you know, to me, again, there were perks, you know, in attending. And, but, you know, my attendance was just never solid. But I remember that at 10 years old, I did, because part, when I did go for a time, I memorized John three sixteen. So I did, I learned the scripture by the time that I was 10 years old. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah. 
You know, and so, and, and I, there was a song that they taught to, to teach you um, the books of the Bible. So I remember I had a lot of, a lot of those memories, but nothing that was lasting or concrete. And I always say, you know, Lord, you searched for me and found me. There are so many people that I know that have these stories about praying grandmothers and praying aunts and grandfathers and growing up in church. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's that's not my testimony. And so, God, you purpose my life to find me, to lead me to you, because, you know, for all other intents and purposes, if you look at my life, there's no way I should have ended up. Um, just with a life surrendered to him. And so I just, I'm just grateful for, for how he orchestrated it and purposed it to lead me to him. And so, you know, even all through, you know, my childhood and, you know, academically, I, I was strong, but there was just always this, um, just this sense of, uh, just this unworthiness. And so I would work that out through food. And so I was always, so here I am. Sometimes I'm the only, um, you know, African-American child in the class. And then I'm, I was tall for my age. So then I was the tallest and then I weighed the most. (laughs) Okay. And so, um, you know, there was just always these things that no matter how I wanted to, to blend in and be okay, it always seemed to be these things that had me standing out. And so over the years, um, it, the, I used food more and more to sort of cope. Food was my fun. Um, it was how I identified with, with other people. Um, and it began to get away from me, and I, I, you know, was was pretty overweight by the time I reached middle school and high school, and you know, especially compared to, um, I remember I used to dread being weighed in middle school. Um, so here it is with just one more layer, um, um, being overweight and going through all just, just having to deal with um, puberty and wanting boys to be attracted to you. And, you know, it was just one less hurdle. And again, being um, so if I couldn't get anyone to like me on my own merits, then I started learning ways to manipulate the situation. And that was through promiscuity. And so I was introduced, and I know that that door was open definitely um, through the the sexual abuse that I had experienced when I was younger. And so um, I began to be promiscuous at quite a young age. Um, um, I, again, I was I was heavier, so that gave me the appearance of looking older. Um, I was intelligent, so I could carry myself and I could talk a certain way. And so I learned different tactics of manipulation um, in order to um, in order to get what I want and begin to to seek out some of those things that made me feel worthy or try to get my worst built up through um, through promiscuity. And so as, as a young girl, um, I. Uh, 
you know, that's how I could draw someone and, and be attractive um, is to, and, you know, I was maybe 11 years old um, uh, attempting to date boys that were 14 and 15 years old. Um, and just, you know, allowing, um, I, you know, I remember when I finally did, I, I remember I lost my virginity at 12 years old and feeling, um, just being confused by it, even though I had, you know, in my confusion, I had purposely set out to do this because I was really in love with a young man in the neighborhood and I just wanted him to like me. I wanted him to see me and I wanted him uh, to, to, to recognize me and to validate me. Um, That's the word I was looking for you to say. You were looking yeah, for, you were looking yeah. for validation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, finally, um, you know, I got his attention by, you know, I just throwing myself at him enough to, um, to have it happen. And then, you know, if, if I could have, I just, I remember immediately afterwards, if I could just backpedal out of that situation, you know, I would have. And the feeling of, and on top of it, when it did happen, um, all of my friends and peers knew about it immediately. Like it, it didn't like spread the next day. It spread like an hour later. Hmm. And so that information. And so the information was out there and I was constantly having, so I, I, I was always having this battle cause I was out always trying to validate myself. Um, and then at the same time, I would have this humiliating information. And this, this seemed to be the case uh, throughout my adolescence, you know, all the time. But it was because I was setting myself up in these god-awful situations um, um, to be taken advantage of, uh, always seeking um, validation, always trying to work my way through rejection because I've been rejected you know, because, you know, I was overweight. I had been rejected in situations because of the color of my skin. I, you know, I had, there was just so much rejection there um, that, um, you know, these these things will come into play. And, and it just, it never seemed to fill the hole. It never seemed to, to put me on the right path, but I continued this destructive behavior all through my adolescence and the older I got, the worse it got um, because I became more savvy um, with my womanhood and, and more knowledgeable. So I thought, and, um, and the older I got, the older I dated. And so um, it was just um, bad and horrible um sexual experiences and relationships. And I had plenty, I'd had plenty of sexual experiences, but not really relationships with anyone. Um, and that, that again, 
I was okay to sleep with, but no one would ever say, yes, I want to be your boyfriend. Yes, I want to spend this time with you. Yes, I want to um, publicly say that, you know, we are together. So it would perpetuate again, even though I would put myself in these situations, it would perpetuate time and time again, this rejection. And so I took that into my 20s and um, began to, in order to uh, numb the pain of that rejection, of course, of course I drank, of course I went out and I partied and I went to the club and, you know, of course, you know, if you asked me or had any conversation with me, I would tell you that, you know, I am in total control and nobody, uh, you know, I was, I was strong and any decision that I made to do, it was because I wanted to and nobody could tell me um, any different. Um, and I was independent. Um, and it was a lie. It was all a lie that I was telling myself. Inside, I was hurting and I was shattered and I was broken and I was wishing somebody would come along and, and love me. I was wishing someone would come along and love me. It didn't matter that, you know, and, and because I could have strong, intelligent conversation, because I could discuss any movie and book, um, any, uh, I could discuss foreign policy with you. Um, because I had high intelligence, that was another way to validate myself and, and, Somehow I thought that this rounded out and made me a woman. And it didn't. It it made me um, broken and and shattered and in in the quiet times and in my quiet place and when I was all alone, I couldn't figure out how to to get off to get off this, this train. I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. And um, in, so in my 20s, I, um, I met my daughter's father and, uh, you know, um, you know, he is who he is. I, I don't, I never talk bad about him, but, you know, I, I, I do speak fast. You know, he struggled he, with alcoholism. Um, we came from two different backgrounds. Um, you know, he grew up, um, I, I grew up in the suburbs. You know, I grew up in the suburbs and, um, you know, from a two-parent household and, you know, he was a street guy and he was a known gang member and he was a struggling alcoholic and um, he was on probation um, when we encountered each other and somehow, again, I didn't feel that I was worthy enough to date someone, this was, this was who I needed to date and I needed to fix him because again, that was going to be a testament to who I was and my value if I could fix him. And, um, I couldn't, um, and I learned the, uh, the pain of dating someone, um, who was an alcoholic and, and it was, it was trying, I would be, you know, afraid of, of, you know, where he was and I was always trying to save him and 
I would have to pull him. He'd be passed out in bars and I'd have to go and pick him up or he'd be stranded somewhere. And that was the majority of our relationship um, was um, going from tragic situation to tragic situation to tragic situation. And um, out of that, I got pregnant with my daughter and, um, you know, just knowing that what my situation was and that he wasn't going to be of much help to me. And so I knew that I was going to be embarking on my own. And um, my mother was was great help. Um, she supported. She wasn't supportive at first. She was. She was a little disappointed, but when she did come around, um, you know, she, uh, she supported me, um, and I was able to go back to school and begin to get certifications because I did want to be a good mom and a mom that could provide. And, and at that time I was, I was, I was wild and out of control and, you know, I t- my daughter definitely was the beginning of that life-saving, um, her coming and giving me purpose and grounding me and bringing me to a space where I could narrow my focus and say, what is it that you want? Are you going to live this way um, forever? And so um, I was able to, to really narrow my focus and do that, and I, I completed my studies and began working and I entered the workforce and found that that was a place where I could excel and I loved it in providing for my daughter and having my mom's support and still this time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into my twenties now and I still, I still don't know the Lord, but while in my studies, I meet a, uh, I meet a woman and she's older than me, and she's grown up in church. And I remember she's asked me, she said, you know, do you know the Lord? And I was like, you know, my, my mother grew up Catholic, and my father, he, you know, he's like, we were, I guess we we're Episcopalian. He <laughs> wasn't even sure, right? Um, he was like, I guess. And so, um, you know, I said, you know, I... I Shared with her some of my childhood experiences, and she's like, "But do you believe in God?" You know, and me, well, I remember I said, "You know, you know, there could be a God, there could not be a God." You know, I was so open. Again, I read every book and every theory. Um, I remember I thought I was a Muslim for 2.2 seconds, but I like ham and cheese sandwiches, so that didn't work out too well. And <laughs> it just takes. You know, and it takes a lot of energy to be that angry and mad. And I just, you know, I mean, one of my very best friends who happens to be Caucasian and her mom practically raised me. And, you know, it just, nothing just made sense. I'm like, I'm supposed to hate you or not like you. It's just, it was just way too much energy for me. But, you know, it was just. So, you know, I had read different things, but I didn't know anything about Jesus. And she's like, you know, you know, do you believe in God? I said, God exists or he doesn't. I don't know. I said, I just say anything is possible. That way I'm covering my bases. And I remember telling her that. And she was like, mm-mm, you need to believe in the Lord. And, you know, she was, I remember she was telling me, she's like, I'm in a backslidden state right now, but I still know God exists. And I was like, a backslidden state? What is that, right? And I'm like, okay, well, 
okay. She's like, you know, one day I'm going to take you to church. And I was like, you know, and then she said, one day I'm going to take you to church, but right now we're on our way to go out to the club. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. And, you know, and but she became a really good friend of mine, a really good friend of mine. And she ended, she was, she's my old, my daughter's uh, godmother. And she decided to give, to get her life back, um, give her life back to God and to rededicate herself. And as she began to put the pieces back, you know, to her life, we were still good friends and she would go to church and that was okay. And she would always say, you know, one day I'm going to get you to go to church. And, you know, we knew each other for years and encountered one another and this went on, and, and my life went on, and more horrible relationships, and, um, you know, I probably, I didn't drink as much, and but, you know, I was still pretty destructive because I was still out there searching for validation through relationships and um, still compromising myself, compromising what I knew to be true for me. Um, compromising these things through, I mean, that it was this one thing and that was this, this lustful promiscuity that was always lingering behind the scenes and me utilizing that for validation. Um, and I just remember doing awful things, awful things. Um, I, I remember when the internet came along, meeting up with, uh, meeting up with people, meeting them on the internet and meeting up with them. Dangerous. I could have lost my life. I could have contracted anything, uh, that would have taken me out, you know, and it's only, and I had no idea that the grace of God was resting on me that all of these times when I would, um, when I did drink and I would drink to the point where I would black out sometimes waking up, not knowing who was next to me, trying to figure out how, how I'm either going to get away or get this person out of my house. Um, just so many behaviors tied into trying to find this validation because all my life is going on and behind the scenes these same toxic and dangerously life-threatening behaviors I was participating in. And I was a mom. I had a daughter. I had a life. I had a, a, a great job, um, a job that set me up and prepared me um, to get on the road to my career. I mean, it was my training ground. But, you know, when I get in that dark and lonely and broken and hurt and wounded place, these behaviors will come come shining through. And with those behaviors, you attract like-minded people. So all of my, you know, everyone that I was around was like me. You know, we could share in these in these awful behaviors. Oh, you meet up with guys on the internet? I do too. And so in your mess and in your toxicity, you have someone and you feel okay. You feel okay. 
Oh, yeah, the and, devil will make uh, sure you have like-minded friends right. for your and sin. And you feel okay for a little bit. Yeah, then you can you can Absolutely. justify it and go on, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And meanwhile, none of us are living. We're just, we're killing each other softly. You know, um, it, it just, you know, it's, it's, again, it's amazing to me, but not surprising knowing God like I do now, um, because that's the God that we serve, um, how I even, I even made it through. But, uh, uh, my friend, after she had rededicated her life and she had become a part of a ministry, um, she just began to start asking me again, uh, frequently. She would invite me to, um, to come to, different events, um, if they were having a Christmas party, and she'd say, you know, well, come to the Christmas party. And so I'd come, and I'd bring my daughter, and, and you know, it was, it was my introduction to this ministry. And, um, you know, it was fun. You know, I'd like to go anywhere where they were going to, you know, serve free dinner and, you know, just, a, just an opportunity but, um, and so I remember it became this habit. I would come to the church, I would show up at their Christmas, this happened for like three years, their Christmas banquet, and there in the summertime, they would have their church picnic, and she would invite me. And I would come, and I'd come, and I'd hang out, and I enjoyed everyone, and I'd meet them. Um, and then one day, she, she got me to come to Sunday service. And I came to Sunday service, and I, I get there, and, you know, I, I grew up in church. So when I get there, I'm looking for a white building with a cross on the, on the roof. And, you know, because uh, my friend, who also happens to be African-American, you know, you have the stereotype of what black church looks like, right? So you're going to come in, you're going to have this boisterous preacher, and he's going to be in this robe, and there's going to be the choir singing all these songs, and it's going to be, and it was nothing, <laughs> nothing like that. So they're in a storefront, and it's, it's people from all different walks of life, and this very tall um, German woman with a heavy accent, she is the first person to greet me. And she grabs me and she says, hello, sweetie, how are you? And she gives me a hug. And I, you know, and I hug her back and I'm like, okay. And I leaned over and I asked my friend, I said, who is this? Who's that woman? She's like, that's the pastor's wife. And I said, what? <laughs> and so this is, uh, you know, I, I was asking, what kind of church is this? But this was the introduction to the place where I was going to work out my soul salvation. Um, and you know, they didn't, they didn't even have musicians. They would play the, the praise and worship service was tracks being played and then someone would lead in song. I mean, and like I said, I had all these stereotypes of church. So I remember I told her, I said, what kind of church is this? I don't want to come back because I wanted to experience what I saw on television. But, um, but Beyond what my mouth was saying, um, already something had begun to stir in my spirit. Even if it was uh, curiosity, um, began to stir in my spirit. And 
Um, I listened to, I remember listening to the word. And I didn't understand anything that was being said. Um, I really just had no clue, but I was taking it all in. And I, as, and as much flack as I gave her for all of the different things that I saw, and I was very observant, right? So I was just like, you know, what kind of black pastor has a white wife and what kind of people don't have musicians and why isn't there a building and why am I not sitting on pews? You know, all this. And she said, just, the, you know, she's like, it doesn't have, she just kept saying, you know, God does different things to different people. And she just, I mean, she was just so uh, patient with me in retrospect, you know, and so, but I had already decided that I wanted to come back. I wanted to see again um, what would happen. And I began to go. I began to go to church. And my daughter loved the fact that other kids were there and she could get involved. And I just found myself, I still was going out and I still was doing my thing, but I just began to apply myself more and more and uh um you know I would attend for a little while and then I would stop going and then I would attend for a little while and I would stop going and um I remember being moved one Sunday to tears and where I just was crying and I just I, I remember God began to speak to me you know that you know, there's going to be another life for you. Um, there's going to be another way. And and I agreed with what God was saying, but I didn't know, you know, what that way is. And he's like, this is the way. This this right here, this is the way. Um, this is the way. And, and I said, oh. and I, 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 want, I wanted it. I didn't know what it was, but... As I began to look around and I, there would be altar calls and people would be crying and pouring out and raising their hands. And as the preached word began to make more and more sense to me, I, uh, I just, I, I got a hunger and, and I still wasn't knowing, I just knew I wanted something different. And I remember looking at my daughter and saying, you know, I have to change. Because otherwise, I'm going to pass these behaviors on to her. I, that I knew for sure. You know, and so I said, God, there has to be something different. And I, I took that, and then I didn't go back to church for a few weeks after, after I had that experience with God. And I remember going out one night uh, with a group of friends. And we had been out all night, and it was, it was, we had been out all night, but it was a very casual night, and it was a night where no one, um, we could sort of all hung out at a friend's house because no one was going to drink and drive, and so we, uh, you know, people were in different places having conversation, and I was at the end of the couch, and I was watching an infomercial, and the Lord just said, this is the last time you're going to do this. Hmm. <laughs> There's the baseball this is bat. The last, mm-hmm. This is the last time you're going to do this. 
this is the last time you're going to be in this type of environment. This is it. You need to go to church. Now, I'm looking at my watch, and it's like 4.45. And I'm like, okay. And God is like, you are going to go to church. And so when we basically had sobered up enough to be able to drive home, my my friend, she's dropping me off, and she says, when are you getting ready to go in there and do I said, I'm getting ready to go in here and take a shower and go to Sunday school. Now, I hadn't been asleep. I hadn't had any sleep. And she's like, you're what? I said, I'm getting ready to go in here and take a shower, and I'm going to Sunday school. And that was exactly what I did. I went in there, and I got dressed, and not only, you know, because usually Sunday school was not what, what I was going to attend, but I attended that day. And I went to Sunday school, and I went to service. And I remember there was an altar call, and I remember... I went to the altar and I just laid it all out. I said, I I want to be I want to get saved. I I want to give my life to the Lord and I don't want to live like this anymore. And I prayed the sinner's prayer and I remember that something in me just shifted. It just shifted it from from starting in my belly and then it moved from the up to the top of my head and then down into the soles of my feet. And that I knew that I knew that I knew that where I had been four hours prior, I was never going to be there again. Amen ever. to that. When he says ever, something, ever, ever, when he says something, then you kind of uh, you feel that it, he told you so, so you're not going to do it again, just like nope. he said. And that uh, that was definitely the two by four or baseball bat upside the head for mm-hmm. her. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, what a great story. And you know, he just uh, you know he just moved, and I was just I was on fire after then. I was like, where can I volunteer? You know, I wanted to teach people resume building and, you know, how to, you know, just, I was just ready to, to all of my giftings, whatever I had to give, I was ready to give them. Um, and my pastor, um, there, we, we had a very unique, like I said, it was a unique ministry. Um, we had pastors that were co-pastors. They were a man and a woman that were not married. They each both had a wife. I, you know, as I said earlier, our male pastor's wife, she was this, he was a tall man. He was like 6'5", and his wife was like 6'1", a uh, Caucasian German woman who just loved the Lord. I mean, their testimony was just, just so, uh, they had both been addicted to drugs, and, and God just literally delivered the both of them and how, you know, they had come to Christ. It, it's such a beautiful story. And their, um, the co-pastor, who was a woman, her and her husband there, both the four of them building this ministry, um, building it up, toiling and laboring for God and wanting to do something outside of the box. And, and I was just attracted to it all. Um, and what I thought I wanted, this traditional church, and what I thought I saw on TV, 
And, you know, God had not, everything that I had been through and everything that I was going to do and who and how God was going to use me, um, I couldn't even, I, I, you know, even if some of those traditions and, you know, tradition is okay, but it was just being this authentic woman saved by grace is, is I wouldn't have been able to be in that type of church. I was right where I was supposed to be, <laughs> only I didn't know it. Isn't that amazing? And so... I wonder how that you happened. Know? Right. How dink Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Right where I was supposed to be with the people that I was supposed to be with. And um, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And I just, um, I, 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 I went in uh, with everything that I had, just wanting, wanting to serve the Lord and just, Looking back over my, and through, even through my whole life, um, having um, uh, just not, you know, learning more now, not just a prophetic gift, but a prophetic calling. Which one of you is the seer? <laughs> That'd be me. Yeah. <laughs> well, not yeah. yet. I haven't. Uh, not yet, but not yet. He told me so to So he's wait. been told. Okay. okay. I was well, told to be um, wait to wait for it, be still, and I will wait for him. That's what I was told. Okay. Yeah. I, and like so that you guys know I'm listening. That's why I'm yes. asking. And so yes, you do. be encouraged. It'd be, it'd be um, recent be, too because I tried to keep that a little yeah. un, under wraps. <laughs> Man. Yes. Um, be encouraged. Be encouraged um, in that gifting, and when God is ready to release you, obviously, um, He will. Um, mm-hmm. Looking back. Looking back over my life, I mean, literally, I would speak prophetically. As a, I was speaking prophetically as a little girl. I was speaking prophetically. I would say things and declare them. They would come to pass. I would have knowledge and knowing. Um, God gives me prophetic, you know, um, when you study, um, when you study the prophets and the way that the Lord spoke to them, you know, the prophet Ezekiel, most of... Um, the way that God would download to him was through vision. I visual. I usually see it. It's almost like a movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, um, I would see things, and I would just have these. You no, know, I used to call them knowings. I would just know things, and people used to think it was creepy. And I just thought I was just kind of cool, right? That I could <laughs> say I would be like, "Hey, this is how this is," and and it would happen. Um, but just preparing me and even, and also to, to be encouraged because, um, my prophetic calling, I, you know, I had been rejecting it literally up until probably when the Lord finally confirmed for me that, um, you know, that I was prophetic was last year in 2016. And just really, I just began to study and pray and pray and pray and pray. And I'm glad you are where you're at because um, the only thing that's going to teach us is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He leads and guides us into all matters of truth. And so, you know, what God has for you according to your life, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you. He's going to teach you about your gift and how to use it and what it looks like. And, um, you know, as I'm learning... It doesn't have to be lined up and compared with anybody else we see. Um, that has been a huge hindrance for me, a huge hindrance for me up until 
recently is looking at someone and saying, well, they are this, and so it must look like that. Um, but that's definitely not the case. And so um, I'm just, um, you know, like I said, you guys know I'm listening. And so I've been praying for you, um, oh, thank you. in that regard. And so, yes, you know, God is good. But, you know, it has been, you know, I, I you know, after getting, when I finally got saved and I just began to live for God, um, you know, still like all of these mistakes, right? Because when you get saved, your life is supposed to be yellow brick road from there, right? But, you know, that wasn't the case. And I, I tell you, I liken myself and my, and my favorite person in the whole entire world outside of God is Peter, because he is the most transparent, mm-hmm. mistake-making, right in front of the Savior himself, um, right up until the very end, just doing all of these things. Um, but but God, you know, no matter what, and no matter, not even for how long, I mean, he spent all of this time with Jesus, and even during the time when he was with him, he would just do these outrageous, I mean, outlandish things. You know, Jesus would have to rebuke him right to his face because he'd just be doing all these things. And I I get it, and I get that, um, you know, I wish I could be, uh, I wish I could be Paul. This, this you know, it, he. I know he doesn't think he's perfect, but... So many people, it's like, you know, he was instantly converted. He was on fire and he took off and, you know, but Peter made so many mistakes along the way and, you know, and they were in front of everyone. And I appreciate that transparency for me to see because I've made so many mistakes along the way in front of everyone. But when you know that you know and you understand the gift of salvation and the fullness of the benefits that it affords you and that he paid it all for all of it, it's all for his glory. Every mistake, every victory, every tribulation, every mountaintop experience, every valley experience, Every time we misspeak and we do something that's not pleasing to God, and then when we're super obedient and we say exactly what he says, it's all for his glory, and salvation encompasses that. And too many times throughout my walk, I was so worried and so bogged down with trying to get it right and having to be perfect and having to walk it out, and I understood for not what my salvation was really for. But it is for it all. It's all for God's glory. It's all for his glory. Yes, it is. all for his glory. And he paid it all for these very reasons. And so I am, yes, I am a wretch undone, but he has made a beautiful mess out of me. (laughs) Uh, you're in good company, Absolutely Stephanie. good company. You're in really good company. Well, but given your good, but given your testimony and speaking about everything else is healing in itself. Yes, that's yes. true. 
That's true. That's yeah. what I was thinking too. Right. And um, when you were growing up, the the one person that can validate either a little girl or a little boy is the father. And if it doesn't happen, just like you, just like me and many, many others, you continue to walk through life trying to get validation through this or that or him or her, and it doesn't happen. It's amazing the links that you will go to and the things that you will reason out, just like she was talking about. Just You just do, you know crazy things mm-hmm. just to, to yeah. try to get validated and and then reason those things in your mind that you're right. okay you right. know that the, those things are so if you don't get validated through that and then you start walking with the father and praying and and following his ways and following his what he tells you to do and everything else um he validated me himself um mm. probably about six years ago five or six years ago mm-hmm and boy, what a day that was in my room. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And and I think the beauty of it is that there were a lot of things when I when I came to Christ, there was a lot of things that I shared, you know, and it was a lot of and these things are outward things, right? So, you know, I'm no longer drinking and I'm no longer associating with certain people. But there I think that you know, that's the beginning. There's a healing pro- process that has to take place. Oh, absolutely. And there is, you know, there, there's this. And so sometimes we're in the church and we go years and we're still wounded and we're still broken. And, you know, and that was part of, you know, part of the, the process. But that, that is, again, that's the benefit of salvation is that we can look um, without, we can look at ourselves in the fullness of, of our wounds and our brokenness. Right. And little by feeling, little, by yes. little, little by little, he'll peel it away. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And understanding that and really take, taking away um, from that because, you know, that was, you know, that day that I gave my life to Christ, was going on 14 years ago and it's still, and that is, you know, 14 years ago of, of going to church and and giving my life to the Lord and, and, and becoming a minister and co-chairing our education department, you know, in our church, but still, and still doing things, but not knowing how deep these wounds are. And even now, and that's why I want to encourage anyone, whether you're just coming to Christ or a believer, and you've been walking with God for a long time, because sometimes even those sorts of things play out in our mind. Well, I've been in church for so long. Why isn't it? I should have it by now, or I should know. But to, 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 if anybody is faithful, God is faithful, and he is faithful and just to forgive and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And it's okay to explore those things with him. God has got us. He's got our back. I don't care. It's never too late. It is never too late. And I don't care when we came to Christ because he loves us that much and he paid it all. And he knew, he knew that we were going to have, he knew that I, it was going to take me 14 years to get the knowledge of where my wounds were today. Mm-hmm. He knew it. 
there's, I'm not taking him by surprise in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And so that's the beauty of God. And, and even in learning it now and being so excited about what I've learned, and there's no condemnation because people would say, well, you're a minister. You're a minister. You should have. You know, I would expect. But those are the things, and that type of thinking is what sometimes keeps people from even wanting to be saved and live this life because they think that there's all these expectations and they have to have it all together. He has it all together. He paid it all. There's only one perfect one, and his name is Jesus. But we are perfected through the blood of the Lamb. We are perfected through the work of the cross. And that work was good, and it was completed. And he died, and he rose on the third day. But the best part of it all is he ascended, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. It is done. It's completed. And we are—oh, gosh— I just get so excited when I know that part because that's where with the spirit that's when the spirit of God can rest on you and there's liberty, there's freedom in that. There's bondage in thinking that I have to have it all together. I can't take any more yokes. I have to shake off fourteen years of yokes. I want to be free in Christ to live for him, to serve him. That's where I'm going to gain my holiness and my righteousness is knowing that he is righteous and he is holy. And so that's where it's going to come from, that work on the cross, the blood that was shed. And that is what makes me so excited about God. And that is why I had to tell my testimony because people are out here. We are, this is a lost and dying world. Got that and right. And we're getting to the we're getting to the point now where, you know, we have to be prepared, and he's going to come uh, for a church without a spot or a wrinkle. And so I have to be able to encourage that all this other stuff, these isms and schisms in these churches, and that's not what makes up God. What makes up God is that plan and what was perfected and done on the cross. And he did it for you and for me. That is what I want people to get across, and that freedom, that liberty, whom the sun set free, is free indeed. And I just, my spirit just yearns for people to be able to connect into that, because if he did it for me, a sick, a sin-sick, promiscuous, playing with the devil, dancing on the edge of death every time she put herself out there, um, I could have taken away, uh, my daughter could have been without a mother. Yeah. Man, that reality hits home, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, wow. just uh, that selfish, sin, sick, selfish thinking and behavior. It wouldn't have just affected me. Okay, I'm gone. But what about her and who I would have left? And the repercussions, what generational curses would have attached themselves to my daughter had I continued to be selfish and sin? Amen. But God, but God, but God, and that's why he paid it all. He came for the sin-sick, promiscuous woman. He came for the liar and the cheater and the prostitute. He came for them. Stephanie's getting her preach on there, Mikey. Yes, she is. I just love him so much. I think much. she's fired and I up. Get... <laughs> I think she loves God. Uh-huh. I just get so Man. excited about, you know, what he's done and, Amen to you that. know, everything. 
you know, I'm, I'm married. Um, I, I've been married for three years. You know, God waited till I was, um, I've been married for three and, um, was with my husband for five years, uh, total. And, you know, um, late into my thirties, but God knew when I was ready and all that prepping and, and even healing up into that point into my husband, uh, coming into my life and then, uh, blessing us with a son and, Oh, uh, that's so fantastic. And, yeah, and keeps me young, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Young. You got that right. Yeah. So, so man, you know, Stephanie, what a great it. story. I know. That was session 160. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for just allowing me to, to share what God has done in my life. Thank you for preaching it. Yes. <laughs> thank you for firing us up over here. <laughs> really. God bless you, Stephanie. Wow. Oh, I think he Thank is. Thank you so much. Man, it, it's yeah. blessed me. What a story. That is just amazing. Stephanie, do you have a favorite oh, yeah. song that you uh, that, that you like that speaks to you? The song that's ministering to me right now is You Are a Good, Good Father. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yes, it is. That's right. It's not who you are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that one. Oh, yeah. Well, man, that's great. Well, thank you for calling in, Stephanie. I'm sure your your testimony will reach those someones out there that Father has already had set up to listen to this. You know what? Out of 57 countries, I guarantee there's one. Oh, yeah. And I'd like to thank everybody that was listening on Mixler tonight. I'm sorry for the hiccup there earlier, but thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. So anyway, we just appreciate you tuning in. Man, I was blessed. How about you, Mikey? Oh, absolutely. Tina, I think, man, oh, yeah. what a story. I can't wait to to get some feedback. And if absolutely. you have some feedback, write us at GodStoriesRadio at Gmail. And if you have a question for Stephanie, um, can I get in touch with you or, or you just want to, or we can? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, either way, um, I would, um, I welcome, um, anyone reaching out to me. Um, absolutely. Uh, I would just, I'd love to. Yeah. If you want to go ahead and give an email address or have whatever you'd like to do, go ahead. Um, my email address is Stephanie, S T E P H A N I E dot life leadership at gmail dot com and anyone's welcome um you know just to reach out to me um i'd love to hear from you all that's all great right. and stephanie's testimony will be on godstoriesradio.com it'll also be on facebook it'll and it'll we you can also twit us twit us on twitter and uh like <laughs> us on iHeartRadio too we love to have yes. get those new followers on follow, iHeartRadio. Fo- yeah, follow us on iheart we really appreciate that and uh we just like to hear from Folks like Stephanie that uh, listen all the time and are getting blessed, and then the Lord pricked her to give her testimony. That's right. And she did. And, and that's the way he rolls. Oh, man. We couldn't be more more pleased, and uh, we just appreciate it. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. That wraps it up for Session 116. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Tina. God bless. God bless. God bless. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and
It's who 